on six local Christian college or websites, letting them know that we'd be interested in their alumni, we'd be interested in current students, and we'd be interested in anybody who has access to, uh, to that information. Just as I suspected, that gained a lot of, um, oh, let's say, interest from a lot of candidates. Uh, we have already fielded over 75 resumes, um, and not only resumes, we're talking about statements of faith, philosophies of ministry, um, answers to questions, and every time we get a resume, it comes with a packet oh, oh I don't know, four to six pages, and usually a picture and whatnot for us to, uh, to review. So uh, we have in detail reviewed, oh, between 20 and 25 of those resumes so far. We have had five initial meetings with candidates where we have taken them for a lunch or dinner meeting with two of our elders and got a, a chance to meet with them, talk with them, just really find out about um, if they, we felt that they would be a, a good fit for us. We actually have a second interview set up with one of our candidates that we'll be doing within the next week or so. Um, we're working on schedules to make sure we get that lined up. And then once we've uh, gone through the current round of resumes that we have, we have another dozen or so uh, ready to go. So we will be diligently um, meeting with folks, talking with folks, and then interviewing folks um, before we bring anybody uh, up to preach uh, for you folks. So. Uh, a lot of the work gets done behind the scenes. I wanted to make sure that everybody know that uh, we are working diligently on it. Even though we don't talk about it on a daily basis, we'll make certain and get up here every few weeks to give everybody a, an update. But really, it is a daunting task um, to go through all the information uh, that we're given. So if you could pr- please be in prayer for the, uh, the elders as we, uh, we search for the next man that God has for us uh, here at Prairie View. And with that, uh, Jeff looks like he's ready. We'll turn things over to him uh, to deliver God's word today. Well, all right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff Stearns. I am the youth and worship pastor here. Craig was absolutely right. Hopefully, I do not inherit the title of pastor of disaster after this morning. I, I don't want that. Roseberry can have it. We're going to talk this morning a little bit about citizenship. Now, citizenship, you know, especially right now with the election year and the elections going on, it's a big uh, kind of a buzzword right now, I would say. And citizenship is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing to be a citizen. But it really depends, I think, on the state that you are a citizen of, the state or country that you're a citizen of. It's great to be a citizen here in the United States of America. It's wonderful. But being a citizen of maybe another country... Maybe some of the third world nations, not so great, not so wonderful, significantly less wonderful. There are there are uh, several countries out there as I was researching and doing the, the homework for the message this week that I found that not only do you not have the rights and the privileges and the things that we uh, enjoy here in America. Not only do you not have those things, but you also have things imposed on you by the government, uh, things that I mean, if they want you gone. You're gone. You're a memory. And no one will remember you. Even if they remember you, they won't remember you. And that's just, I mean, that's just by the government's rule. They're just, if they want you to disappear, you're going to disappear. There are atrocities that go around, uh, that happen around the world that our government, if not sponsored, uh, they're okayed. Uh, And so much so that, I mean, it just absolutely blew me away. It would turn your stomachs for some of these things if I told you about them in some of these uh, nations. Suffice it to say, it's good to live in America. Because in America, citizenship means that we can gather together like this. We can come together peacefully 
We can gather in places of worship and worship exactly how we want. There are plenty of windows. The the blinds are not pulled down. The shades are not pulled on the windows in front of our church. The doors are not locked. We're not worried about people coming in and storming the, the building and taking us off to jail or worse. We don't have to worry about these things. We can decide in America who we choose to follow as a nation, who we choose to have as our leader. We're entitled as American citizens to make those decisions. And as long as I'm as long as I'm on the subject, please do so. Okay, the elections are coming up. If you are legally able to vote, please do so. You know, let me just add that if you can do it, do it. Even the even the people who say that, well, I don't vote, but I don't complain either. You know, I used to say that all the time and I look back and I'm like, you know, I I complained. (laughs) I complained plenty. I still complain. Ask Denise. But even if you don't complain, please vote anyway. Let your opinion matter. Let your voice be heard because as citizens of America, you're entitled to do that. You're entitled to all the rights, all the privileges of that country or state. You are also entitled to bear some of the responsibilities of citizenship of wherever it is you're from. That means that, yes, I'm sorry, there are things that are expected and even required of us as citizens, regardless of where we're a citizen. And we may not like that. We may not like that idea. We may turn from that and go, oh, legalism. Oh, the law. No, it's, it's not like that. It's not that bad. We all like living in America. America has laws. America has a legal system. And we live under it. We live within it. Even citizens of heaven, which is what we're going to talk about today, are not necessarily free from all responsibility. We don't have a license to just run and do and go and and be however we think we need to be. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. Right now I want to look at our text today. We're in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Philippians 3 and verse 15 reads, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We continue into chapter four. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes. And I ask you, my true companion. Help these women, since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, in the very first words of this section of scripture, Paul sort of qualifies this statement. He, He is in a not so subtle way urging us toward a state of being. 
A state of being that we should be striving to attain. We should be walking toward this. In, in the immortal words of Josh Walker's mom, he's urging us to shape up. To shape up. All of us then who are mature. You guys, I've heard that tactic. I've heard that method be used from playgrounds to battlegrounds across the world. All right, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. Those of us who are mature, who's not going to pay attention, right? That's like when I stand up and I say, All right, I want all of the men with me. All of the little sissy, nanny, whiny boo-boos, you stay behind. Who's not going to stand up and come with me, right? Who's going to admit to that? All of us who are mature, Paul says. If you're mature and you're maturing in your walk with Christ, Paul says, you should be listening right now. So that's kind of, I can just almost hear the, the, the tone of voice that might have been going through Paul's mind. Those of you who are maturing, people, all of us, come with me, listen up. So not much has changed really from Paul, Paul's day until now. We, we still see God's love and his long suffering Toward us, He's, he uses guys like Paul and, and guys like myself and Pastor Eric Riddle and Josh to urge his people to shape up, to grow up. And as we are and if we are growing up in our faith and in our walk with Christ, then we should begin to see things happen in our in our perspectives. We should begin to adopt the same sort of point of view that Paul has, adopt those same goals in our lives that Paul has in his life. And now Paul's not saying that he's the end all be all of Christianity. We we discussed that last week with Pastor Eric up in verse 12. We talked about that. He has not yet obtained everything that God has for him. He's not arrived at his goal, but he's walking toward it and his mind is set on it. And he's telling us to adopt that same like-mindedness with him, to press forward. And that's the attitude of pressing forward, forgetting the things that are behind us. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we forget where we came from. That doesn't mean that suddenly when you try to remember your past life, you draw a complete blank. Because everything before then is just gone. You don't erase your memory. You, by all means, hold on to where you came from. Remember where it was that you were when you were saved. Remember what it is that you were saved from. But forget the pleasures of the world that you used to seek out. Forget those things that used to move us in the opposite direction from God. In the opposite direction of God's path that he lights for us. Forget those things and focus your eyes forward on where we're going, on the goal at the end of the road, on Jesus Christ. Focus on where it is that God is trying to lead us. And he says, if on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you. What does that mean? If you're working to adjust your attitude to be more like the mind of Christ, if you're working and striving to put on the mind of Christ daily, God will continue to work in you. God will continue to work in you and on you and to complete the good work that he began in you. He promises that he will. God will see that you reach your goal. Why? Because ultimately, guys, when we reach our goal, God is glorified. His work is completed. The work he does in you, for you, through you, 
are all things that testify of him in your life, of his presence and his power and his ability to change your perception and to save you and to sanctify you. Those are all things that testify of him in your life. And here's the great thing. Paul says, God will make these things clear to you. If on some point you think differently, if you're struggling with an understanding, you're having a hard time getting your mind around this. Paul says he's just laying it all at the feet of God. He's laying all of the teaching on God's shoulders. He has such faith in God's willingness and his ability and his promise to work in the heart of the believer that he really doesn't go into a ton of detail. He just says, if, if you've got a problem with what we're saying here, God will make it clear to you. He's not, Paul's not trying to adjust anybody's uh, perception. He's not trying to just baffle them with his knowledge. He's not trying to force the truth on them. He's just telling them how it is. He's like, God will change your mind. Any differences of opinion you may have, I don't need to struggle with it. I don't need to try to change your mind because God will do it for me if, I, if it needs to be changed. You ever tried to change somebody's mind? It's tough. It's tough to change a mind, especially when they've already got their minds made up about the way things are. You ever met one of those people? I've made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts. I know people like that. And... God, though, if we will let him and get out of the way, he can change another person's mind. He can change the way they see the world, the way they see themselves. He can change the way they view other people. We're going to talk about this man a little bit. God changed him. God changed his opinion. And and guess what, guys? God doesn't need our help to do it, but he lets us because as he lets broken deranged, sick people like us to accomplish his will, to preach his word, to share his truth and his life with other people, then God is glorified. I'm going to read you an excerpt from a testimony. And it's this man's testimony. I'll tell you who this man is in a moment. If you already know, shut up. Keep it to yourself. Don't spoil it. This is from his testimony. It reads, Ten years into my prison sentence, and feeling despondent and without hope, another inmate came up to me one day as I was walking the prison yard on a cold winter's night. He introduced himself and began to tell me that Jesus Christ loved me and wanted to forgive me. Although I knew he meant well, I mocked him. Because I didn't think that God would ever forgive me, or that he would want anything to do with me. Still, this man persisted, and we became friends. His name was Rick, and we would walk the yard together. Little by little, he would share with me about his life and what he believed Jesus had done for him. He kept reminding me that no matter what a person did, Christ stood ready to forgive if that individual would be willing to turn from the bad things they were doing and would put their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross by dying for our sins. He gave me a Gideon's pocket testament and asked me to read the Psalms. I did. Every night I would read. And it was at this time that the Lord was quietly melting my stone cold heart. And I look at this guy and I was saying this morning, he looks a little bit like our drummer, Dave. 
He looks like a nice guy. If I just showed you this picture and said, yeah, this is Pastor so-and-so, and he's a great guy, and he's one of our candidates, I, you could, I could buy into that. He looks like a swell guy to me. Okay? This guy was saved in 1987, and um, he, he, he does have several ministries now. And those ministries operate from Sullivan Correctional Facility in New York. This, this man's name, if you don't know it, is David Berkowitz. David Berkowitz was known in the mid-70s as the son of Sam. This man is currently serving a sentence of 365 years for killing six people and, and wounding seven others. Now, the point of the story is that no one came to him pounding their Bibles at David. No one came to him yelling at him and and screaming to repent, turn or burn, buddy. Nobody did that. Uh, No one threatened him. No one told him that what he had done was wrong. Uh, Duh. You don't think he knew that? You don't think that he knew that murder is wrong as a citizen of America? We all know that. We get that. Most of the places I've ever been, murder is wrong. Okay? It's kind of frowned upon. See, do we seriously believe, folks, that the people who are engaged in activities, behaviors, lifestyles that go against God's will and God's best for them, do we seriously think that they don't know they're wrong? Of course they know they're wrong. When my kids are doing something wrong, they know it's wrong. They know the rules. They know how it works. I don't need to tell them they're wrong. We don't need to tell people that are heading the wrong way that they're wrong. They know it. And I believe that they know it because the Bible tells us God's laws are written on our hearts. See, people know what sin is. They get it. But pointing it out to them really isn't going to make them want to necessarily turn from that behavior and start suddenly joining the the praise band and join the choir and go to seminary, okay? That's that's not usually what happens. It wouldn't work for them. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it wouldn't work for us. It wouldn't have worked for me. I had plenty of people when I was out being a heathen last week. No. I had plenty of people tell me that what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't care. I, I knew that already. They weren't telling me anything new. What people need to be shown, what people need to understand and be exposed to, and what people need to experience is simply God's love for them. The love of God. That's what happened with David Berkowitz. Someone simply shared the love of Christ with him. Told him that there was a God who loved him. Told him that answers existed for the questions that he had. Told him that light existed for the dark places in his soul. And who did God use to do that? Another, another inmate, another prisoner. Who does God use to do these things? To show people the truth and the light and the life. Just regular, regular guys. Regular folks like you, folks like me. Broken people. Hurting people. People that aren't really sure themselves. People that have questions about their own faith. God uses those people. All, look, look, look back through the Bible. It's all through the Bible. God uses people who don't think they can be used. All the time. Why? Because 
His glory is increased when that happens. God's glory is shown through those people. Guys, I'm telling you what. If God can use someone like me to express his love, to express his caring, to show his character to another person, so that that person can begin to see God and his attributes, his character, his personality through me, through the way I speak to them, through the way I don't speak down to them, the way I come to them as an equal, as a brother, through the way that I'm willing to part with things so that they might be blessed, through the way that, that, that I carry myself and represent that heaven that I am a citizen of and that God that I serve in the way that I like, in the way that my lifestyle if they begin to see his reflection in me and then they fall in love with this Jesus, then God is glorified. So much more so than if he had simply dropped a new thought into a closed mind. Not that God can't do that. But how much more is he glorified by using someone like me, someone like you, to accomplish the same thing? And because God uses us, God uses his, his family to accomplish his will here on earth I think it makes it a little bit easier maybe for those of us who are walking in and are maturing in our faith. We, we begin to find ourselves in verse 16. We begin to find ourselves living up to what we have attained. Because what is it we have attained? Well, as we mature in our faith, as we grow towards Christ, we realize that we, in and of ourselves, have attained absolutely nothing. You have done nothing in and of yourself. But through the power of Christ, through the power of the Spirit, through, through God the Father, what have we attained? How about immortality? I'm a fan. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Huh. Freedom from the things that used to pull me away from God. Freedom to leave those things behind. Freedom... To choose to follow Christ now into eternity. Freedom. To, to call myself not just a servant, but a friend of God now. No longer a servant, but a friend of God. How cool is that? Co-inheritors of heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. What have we attained? Everything. Everything in heaven is given to us. How can we possibly... With that in mind, and that in front of us, how can we look back and remember the pleasures of this world when we know that the complete and full joy of heaven is just a heartbeat away? How can we look back? And so we have Paul putting complete trust into the hands of God, telling him that God, God can change our perspectives. God can change our minds. God can change our, our hearts and, and our souls and our path. He can guide us to exactly where we need to be, and he will, without fail. And so we move forward into verse 17. Paul tells us to join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now again, Paul is not saying here that he is the ideal. He, he is not saying, hey, dig me, you know, do what I do. But what he is saying is, guys, I am confident enough in my walk, in my faith, in, in my maturity in the Lord, that I feel like I can tell you to use me as your guide. Use me as a template. Use me as a pattern to follow in your own life, in the way that you think about 
heavenly things. What did we talk about last week? Our one thing. Pastor Eric was telling us the one thing. What was Paul's one thing? His desire, his one thing that he wanted was to know God more fully. To follow God more closely. To reflect God more accurately in his life. And so... Paul is is saying that it's safe to say, guys, that because I am doing these things, use me as a pattern because you can and you should pattern your lives after those things. The one thing, knowing God. You should be following me. Why? What's the point, Paul? Why do I want to do all of these things? That sounds like work. That sounds like I'd have to give some stuff up. That sounds like I might have to stop doing the things that I like to do. My flesh wants what it wants. What do you mean, Paul? I don't want to quit doing that. Why do I need to do that? I'm really glad you asked. Because, verse 18, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. You guys know anyone like that? Don't say me. Not me. I hope it's not me. But I know people like that. I've met people like that. Sure, you have. We've all met people like that. We all know people that don't have any desire for the things of God. Have absolutely no want for the things of heaven, the things of eternity. But instead, they do all that they can do. All that they can do to pursue and to satisfy their desires here and now. Their desires are really simple, too, because we've all we've all seen their desires on on cable TV and even in commercials that we watch. We know exactly what their desires are. It's simple. They want it all. They want everything. Whatever my flesh wants, my flesh gets. And, and if I don't get it, I'm going to find a way to get it. If I don't feel happy and satisfied in this situation, I'm going to leave this situation and I'm going to go and find me another situation that makes me feel happy and satisfied because I deserve it. I need to feel happy. If you don't make me happy, I'm going to leave you and I'm going to find someone else who does make me happy. If whatever's in this bottle doesn't make me happy, I'm going to find a bottle that does make me happy. And if that bottle stops making me happy, I'll find another one. And if this person stops making me happy, I'll find another one. If this job stops making me happy, I'll find another one. And we bounce from from place to place, from person to person, from pill to pill, from drink to drink. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a vicious cycle and it tears us apart. It tears us apart. It tears our relationships apart. It tears our bodies apart. Tears our minds apart. And that's the destruction that we're talking about. After all that, if we haven't come to Jesus, if we haven't figured out that people and stuff and drugs and alcohol don't satisfy me and are not going to fill the hole in my soul. If I don't figure out that Jesus is the only person that's never going to let me down, that's never going to fade from my life, that's always going to tell me the truth, that's never going to fail me, that's always going to love me. That's the only thing that can bring me joy in my life that sticks around. If I don't figure that out, then all of these other behaviors, they begin to tear my very soul apart. I, I, have, I, I begin to sear my heart against the things of God. And my destiny is destruction. Unless I give myself up, 
unless I crucify myself and my wants and my desires with Christ, unless I submit to the perfect will of God. My destiny is destruction. But so often, you guys, the people we know that are like this, so often, they just, they've just simply resigned themselves to this fate, haven't they? They've just, they've just accepted it somehow. And, and now it's like the only way that they can face the reality of it is they've got to act like it's no big deal. Like they don't care. Their glory is in their shame. I don't care. Doesn't matter. I, I met a guy a couple of weeks ago. I didn't really meet him, but I overheard him speaking. And he was a young man. I, I knew some of the people who knew him. And uh, he, he had a drug problem. And he had a drinking problem. And uh, he, he looked like, I swear, people, he looked like he was 35, 40 years old. I found out he was just out of high school. Man, my heart broke for this kid. And I overheard him speaking with one of his friends. Somehow, I don't know how, the conversation had turned to uh, eternity and life after death. And and he said with a smile, he was just kind of chuckling. And they were laughing and joking around. And he said to his friend, yeah, I already know I'm going to hell. He just said it like it was like no big deal. You know, I I already know I'm going to hell. There's, There's no point in in anything else. There's no point in trying to save it. It, it was so nonchalant, so, so cavalier the way he said it. it like, like hell is some kind of dead-end job, right? Like hell is eternal summer and you're stuck working the Slurpee machine and it's never going to end. Like hell is this parade that goes forever and you're stuck being the guy with the shovel following the horses. Like it's some kind of dead-end job, but it could be worse. Could be worse because, you know, I'm just going to have to learn to deal with hell and get by. Because, but it won't be too bad because all of my friends will be there too. Heard that one? Heard that one. And he's not the first person to ever say that to me. That's the really disturbing part. I'm sure you guys have heard similar, similar uh, statements from people. Someone else had said it to me another, uh, a number of years ago. He's like, I already know I'm going to hell. There's no point in doing anything about it. I mean, how can you resign yourself to that, man? I, I, I can't believe people think like that. Like they just give up. And they think that God has given up on them. They think that God is just, uh, sorry, dude, I, I can't touch this. Like they are beyond the reach of the God of the universe. The God who named the stars. The God who created creation. Like they're somehow outside his reach. These people are, their, their minds are set on earthly things. They're not thinking long term. They're using things that they can understand to try and explain or explain away things that they don't understand. They're using touch and, and hearing and sight. No faith. They're, they're using the things in this world, in this time. And that's all they can focus on is this world in this time right now. And let me tell you something. This world in this time is not even a speck on the timeline of eternity. Not even a, a grain of sand on the beach of eternity. And it's so sad. Our hearts should break for those people. And we should be reaching out to those people. But our citizenship, verse 20, is in heaven. I love that. We're not from here. We're just passing through. 
We're not from here. We don't belong here. And frankly, we'd rather not be here. Okay? I have been all over the western United States. Before I moved out to Indiana, I was in a band and we traveled. I have seen most of the western states. I've been to Jerusalem with a a church. And I can tell you, I've traveled halfway around the world and back. And all over the country. And nothing feels as good as coming home. And, and I think we can all agree. I don't even have to explain that statement, do I? I see everybody's going, yeah, preach it, preach it, brother. Because I'm right. Nothing feels as good as coming home. We write songs about it. We have big, huge stores dedicated to the improvement of home. We have stores dedicated to decorating our home, to maintaining our home. Why? Because it's our home. We live there, man. I want it to be nice. I don't need to explain these things. Our home, folks, newsflash. We are not of this world. Our home is not on this planet, at least not in this state. Not Indiana, the state of being of this planet. Okay? Yeah, I've got a house, I've got a family, I've got a place to sleep at night, I've got a roof over my head. But that's not my final destination. It's it's so much more than our brains right now can even begin to imagine. We can't even comprehend heaven. And we are eagerly awaiting a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. We eagerly await a Savior from there. Eagerly await. Eagerly. Okay? Jesus is not a bus that is running late. It's not like... Oh man, I don't know if this Jesus is ever going to show up. I just, I guess I'll just sit here and wait. He should be coming any time now. What's eager about that? We are awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ to come back like we are a kid waiting for Christmas morning. Are you kidding? Jesus is coming back. We're going to be like this. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. When he comes back, it's going to be awesome. That's eager. Now, don't go out in public and do that, but that's, the, that's kind of the condition of our hearts. That expectancy, that urgency, eagerly awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't wait to see this guy. Are you kidding? When he shows up, I'm going to like run to him and come up and put a death grip on this guy. It's going to be like my kids when I come home at night. They're going to be like, Bam! that's me with Jesus. Except for I'm not going to ask him for money. But why? Why should we be so excited about this? Because, I'll tell you why. By the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like what? His glorious body. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, I know you're looking at me going, yeah, Jeff, I don't think you really have that far to go. Your body's looking all right. That was not a joke. (laughs) But seriously, how do you feel about that? To be transformed into the very likeness of Jesus Christ himself. Glorified. My body will be just like his. The same as his. I will have finally come home. We will have finally come home and have all of the rights and the privileges and the perks of heavenly citizenship imparted to us. How awesome is that? My body will be made perfect. 
My soul will be made perfect. My mind will be made perfect. My thoughts will be made perfect. Guys, last week, Pastor Eric told us to run so as to win the prize. Well, I'm telling you guys this week, this is the prize. This is, this is the answer. This is the goal. To be made like Christ in his glory. To, to have perfect communion with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, as it was intended to be since before creation began. That's the prize. The goal. Because as we are glorified, God is glorified. You see? The work that he began in you is now completed. See, that's when the glory comes. The glory comes when the work is completed. Amen? You you understand? Parents who just sent your kids away to college, it's great that they're away at college, but when does the glory come, hopefully? Four years from now. That's when the glory comes. More for those of you whose kids are doctors. That's when the glory comes. Any, Any schmo can start a work. Okay? But the glory comes when that work is completed. That's what we're after, the finished work, because that's when we are made like Christ. That's when we are made perfect. I got him, I'm running late. I've got to move forward into, into chapter 4. Paul, can, Paul begins to wrap up. He's starting to complete his thoughts to the Philippians. He says in verse 1, Therefore, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, friends. So, therefore, because of all this, because the goal, the prize, what we are running toward is to be made perfect, to be glorified as Christ is, therefore, stand firm in the Lord. Hang in there. Stick to your guns. Mama Walker says, shape up. Grow up. Be mature. Continue to mature in your faith. Continue to press forward into all the things that God has for you. Now, guys, don't just leave here today and suddenly frantically go out and see how many great things you can do in God's name. Don't, it's not like that. I'm not telling us to suddenly start flapping our wings like a bunch of little sparrows on the run. Okay? Relax. Relax, guys. Realize with me that God has adopted you. You are family. You are the family of God. So act like it. Begin to act like it. Start to carry yourselves in the way that you should. Start to act like the vessel of God that you are. Start to act as if all the fullness of the Godhead dwells within you. Because it does. Okay? God is a trinity, three in one. As we abide in Christ, Christ abides in us. If we have the Son, we have the Father. If you have the Son and the Father, you have the Spirit. It's three in one. It's the best deal ever. If you have one, you have all three. So act like it. The fullness of the Godhead dwells within you. Start behaving in a way that lets other people know just what the character of this God that we claim to serve is. Just how he is. Paul is alluding to this, I think, in the next verses where he pleads with these two women 
in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, to be of the same mind. Now, he, he may have been speaking here about being of the same mind that we've just talked about. Maturing in your faith. Keeping your eyes on the prize. Pressing forward. And, and there may have been some kind of conflict between these two women. I don't know. There's scholarship both ways. There may have been a conflict between these two women over something. and they, Or they may have just been behaving in a way that God wasn't being glorified and personified in their lives. I don't know. And I, and I love the fact that I don't know. I love the fact that Paul doesn't tell us what the problem is. Paul doesn't lay out the, the, the flow chart of what the problem is and how to fix it. He just says, fix it. Knock it off. Grow up. Be of the same mind. Tell these women, please be of the same mind. Handle it. Be unified as believers. You know, stop letting the enemy drive a wedge between you and other believers. Or stop letting the enemy drive a wedge between you and non-believers. By, by how you behave. By how you act. You see, when it comes to evangelism, oftentimes, folks, we can be our own worst enemies. We can be the worst thing ever. Because all these things that we talk about on Sunday morning, we forget from lunch on Sunday to dinner on Saturday. Okay? We forget everything that you heard this morning. And we just go crazy all week long. All the things that we talk about, about God's love and God's mercy and His grace and His forgiveness and His compassion and His long-suffering Go right out the window the first time something comes at us. Whether it's our kids, whether it's someone else's kids, whether it's our job, whether it's our spouse. All of the things that we talked about just now go right out the window. Monday through Saturday, oftentimes. And that is a horrible witness, a horrible testimony of Christianity and the nature and character of God to the world around us. And believe me, the world around us is watching They're waiting for you to screw it up. They're waiting for you to fall. And don't worry, you will. You will, I will, we all do. But they need to understand that Christians are still human. They're still people. But we need to express that because we can screw it up, we can still experience God's mercy, His grace, His long-suffering toward us. And if we're not displaying that, if people can't tell that, then then we're doing a disservice to this God that we serve. And we're being selfish. We're acting like the children who are not maturing in the faith because I didn't get what I think I deserved. I didn't get the praise in church that I thought I should. I didn't get the forgiveness that I think I should have received. I didn't get what I thought I should get. I wasn't treated how I thought I should be treated. And now I'm mad and I'm upset. Go back to verse 15. All of us then who are mature and maturing should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let the worship team come back up. Guys, start living up to the citizenship that you have attained in heaven. You've already attained it. 
We are not of this world, guys. John 17, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Start living up to that citizenship. If no one can tell that we are not from here, that we don't belong here, that there is something different about us as Christians, about servants of God and brothers and sisters in the Lord, if people can't see that, if they can't tell that, guys, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. Let's pray. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would go with us as we leave this place today. God, that your word would be hidden in our hearts. Lord, that we would continue to pursue you, that we would continue to draw near to you and to seek your face and your will, that we would continue, Lord, to to submit ourselves to you. And that you would just continue to shine through us, continue to grow in us, continue to grow us up and wake us up in our faith. For all that you are and all that you enable us to do in you, Lord, I praise you, we worship you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing one last song? I want to send this out on a, on a good note.